Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Poster Boy Podcast. My name's Chad, and today I'm going to be talking to you about business partnerships. I'm going to tell you about some of mine and why they failed and how most of the failures were completely my fault. I'm also going to help you understand some of the warning signs when you have a partnership that things are likely not headed in a good direction. And I'm also going to talk to you about what does it take to be a great partner? And also, when do you need a partner versus an employee? But before we get started, I want to start out with a quote by Michael Eisner. And he said, it is rare to find a business partner who is selfless. If you are lucky, it happens once in a lifetime. Now that quote to me really resonates because in my life, I found that everyone's favorite radio station seems to be WIIFM. What's in it for me? And so often when you get into a business and you become partners with people, you start learning that they are not selfless. They are selfish and they are looking out for themselves. I would say a good 90% or more of people, and that's being generous, probably think that way. So I want to take you back to my very, very first formed partnership. I was in college at Dominican University in the Chicagoland area, and I partnered with a guy named Les. We built a company called MSP Designs. We partnered for the same reason that so many other people partner up. Number one, we didn't want to do it alone. Number two, we didn't have any money to pay someone else. Number three, we didn't have any experience. Uh, and number four, we thought we were going to get rich overnight. That's the truth. We definitely thought it was going to happen. So how did that work out? And what was it like having a partner? Well, in the very beginning, it was awesome. Okay. Because what we did was we stayed up until wee hours in the morning, um, working on our partnership, working on our business, working on products, working on how we were going to start making money. As we started growing and as we started making money, you also age. So keep this in mind. We started this when we were roughly uh, plus or minus 19 or 20 years old. During that time, you have totally different needs than you do after you've been partners for, say, six years, seven years, and you're in your mid-20s. And it just so happened in that particular partnership, Les was looking to settle down faster. Um, we have a business that traveled. And you know he definitely was looking for more of that, which I completely understand. In addition to that, when you have partners, there are lots of things that you're responsible for and that you do and you have to do as a sacrifice for the business. So Les and I got started with MSP and we brought a lady on. When we brought this lady on, she was the first person to really teach us what it meant to draw a salary, budget things. I mean, really, we, we knew nothing. When I, when I say naive, it's an understatement. We literally knew nothing. And so she brought us on. She talked to us about how we were going to do salaries and what we could afford. And we started working events. And um, Les was a designer. So Les was really good at graphic design. I was a salesperson. I was willing to get on the phones and call directors and do some of those things. As we started making money at these events, we only basically had enough money to pay ourselves. I want to say it was like $300 a week. Maybe it was 400, but I think that's that's a stretch. So at this point, what started happening was Les and I were working together and we were we pretty much partnered up with this lady. And the reason we did that was because we didn't have enough money to pay her, but she was very excited and we were new to business. And so we were excited that she loved our idea. So we all we all team up. Well, what started happening was Les and I, we weren't paying ourselves enough money to even pay our bills. And so we had an apartment together. We had we had nothing. I mean, we literally, we were just going backwards every single month. And so when we would work at these events, we would sell something. And if the customer paid in cash, we would take the order, 
we would tear up the order form. We would give the customer their order, and then we would split the cash to help supplement our income. And we did this because, again, we were around 19 years old, and we didn't know that that was, we knew it was wrong, but we didn't know the importance of communication, the importance of talking about that our, you know, we weren't made, able to make enough to pay our bills. What could we do to do that with this lady? We didn't do that. And so uh, what ended up happening actually was Les and I did this for a long time. And then there happened to be an event that I worked and it was a big prestigious hockey event. And I had a team that came in from Russia. I was working at this particular event with a friend of mine. Les was at a different um, location. And then the lady was at another one. Well, this team from Russia, they came over, they bought, I don't know, 20 something posters and they all paid cash. Well, instead of splitting this particular order with less, what I did was my friend that was there, I told him what I was going to do. I went and printed these pictures at the office overnight. I brought them to the team from Russia the next day, thinking there's no chance I would ever hear from them. So I gave my friend some of the money. Actually, we split it. I gave him half of the money, and then I kept the other half of the money. Well, with this other half of the money, I thought there's no way anyone would ever find out. Well, sure enough, the team from Russia, they arrived back home. They had uh, people that saw the pictures that wanted to order more. So they reached out to us and they, they got our information from the directors. They called our office. And sure enough, I was not in the office that particular day. They talked to this lady. They had the, the, the people from Russia had a copy of their order form. They sent a photo of their copy of it to us. Obviously, it was my handwriting. I had taken the money. It was very clear. They called me out on it. And... At first, I tried to, actually, I never denied it. So at first, I think right out of the gate, I just told him it was me. Les was very hurt. He felt like I had betrayed him as a friend, which I had. And the lady was obviously, it was, it was not a good scenario. And so once all of that blew over, I realized that I was just so insecure being in that business with those two moving forward, just because I knew I had lied. I just felt deceitful. And it's just, I just didn't like the feeling I had every day. And so I told them that I was going to be leaving and I would I would part ways with them. And so from there, I thought I would go and um, I would sell insurance or something like that. But I realized after getting away from that particular relationship, we still live together. So what happened next was, again, we were really good friends all throughout college. And it was one of the best friendships of my life. Well, what ends up happening next is he continues to work on a business. I'm no longer involved. Uh, I think I had taken a computer they wanted back and I had taken a third of the money that we had. And it was just, it just became a fight. And in the end, in all honesty, we were phenomenal friends. I, when I say great, I mean, friends that you would never, ever think would fall apart. And sure enough, um, we haven't spoke since then. And the, the few times I reached out, they were either met with opposition or never responded to. And, and I can understand that, you know, we were young and made some dumb mistakes and that was my first stab at a partnership. Well, then after that, I had a few that that came and went. And um, over time, I started learning and I started realizing that I think I was the problem. Whenever I worked with people, a lot of times they were either older or they had different life goals than I did. And whenever I formed a partnership with someone, I never really took it to heart. I never thought much about what they were concerned about or what their goals were long term. I only thought about mine. And for me, we were working at events, and so I could work on weekends, and then I was off all week. And that, for me, was the perfect lifestyle. I had four and a half to five days off every single week. I made decent money doing pictures. I went back into it, obviously, and this is the business I'm still in today. But 
I cared more about lifestyle than money. And it seemed that everyone that I partnered with cared more about money than lifestyle. And so for me, I cared more about my time off. What did I do with my time? I was, I had no interest in having kids or settling down at this point. I wasn't mindful of the people that I was around. And that for me, that was a huge problem. Yeah. So now to, to build on this, what does it take to be a great partner? Well, I think the first thing is you have to know your partner. That is the number one thing. What are their goals? What are they looking for long-term? Do they see this as something that they want to be in for 10, 20 years? Are there stipulations? If we can't get to X in X amount of time, do they want to leave? What does that look like? Well, in the beginning, when you're young and naive, you don't, you don't think about these things. They don't cross your mind. I would say that the first step is to really sit down and treat it as if you're dating. You look at someone's life values, you look at their goals, they align with yours, their belief on things, they align. Because if they align, you have to remember, this is more of a marriage than a partnership. It is a business marriage. And when you get in it, it can get really messy. The next thing is understanding the strengths of your partners. So Albert Einstein said, you don't judge a fish by its ability to climb trees. I would say that there's never been a more true statement for that than in business. When you start partnering with someone, I see it happen often. You have a visionary who their job is to paint the big picture and to go out, do sales, things like that. But then you have the operational people. And generally, this is what happens in a partnership in the beginning. You get someone who's an operations person and someone who's a visionary. When you have this visionary they see the world, and then you have the people that are building operations coming behind to build it. Well, generally what will happen is the visionary will be out, they're creative, they get distracted easily, and then the, the people that are responsible for building the business themselves, they get frustrated. They become frustrated. They feel like they're doing more. They're doing more of the day-to-day. -day. And again, overall, it just becomes frustrating. So you have to understand what strengths does your partner bring to the table, and how can you appreciate those and make sure that you don't get frustrated with the other one. The next one's being open-minded. If you are a person who believes that it's your way or the highway, business partnerships are not for you. <clears throat> Let me just make sure and reiterate that. If you are not open-minded, do not try to have a business partnership. Okay. I think another thing is understanding the experience of the person that you're looking to partner with. You see, recently I entered into a partnership with um, some partners that they, they were not responsible for building the company that they currently own. It was something that they were brought on and it was, I don't want to say handed down to them. They earned it, but it wasn't something that they built. And when you are someone who built your own company, you know what it takes to make money. But when you inherit a company that already generates cash flow and money, it's similar to buying a franchise. You're buying a system that already works. And so therefore, whenever you have new ideas or you're trying to implement new business, there's oftentimes there's a big disconnect on what it takes to get something to market and to be profitable. Because again, they haven't taken something from idea to reality. So that for me, I can tell you has been one of the most frustrating parts of my new partnership or one of my newest partnerships is dealing with that. So I would say another thing to be uh, to just be mindful of is that when you own a business, you want to be partners. Well, I say this, assuming this is how you operate. You want to have business partners that are willing to make decisions that are best for the business and not them personally. And people will listen to this and they will say, well, duh. But let me explain how that can go sideways. So let's say that we own a hat company. And in this hat company, 
we have a relationship with the supplier that's building our hats and they're giving us somewhat of a rebate, right? So let's just say that we spend $20,000 and every time we spend 20 grand, they give us a check under the table for $2,000 as referral business. Well, what happens when another supplier comes along that can build a better quality hat for less money, yet you no longer get the rebate? You see, so many people will tell you that they make decisions that's best for the company, but when something like that happens, it directly impacts the pocketbook of one of the partners. And now all of a the sudden, they start operating differently and they start thinking differently and you start seeing things in a different way. So this is something that can happen faster than you think when there's a bunch of side deals going on and things like that. So again, know who you're dealing with, understand the situation, understand that you're both committed to being selfless to the business and that you are determined to do what's right by the business. And that means auditing and, and looking for new suppliers for products every three months, six months, once a year, depends on the product. You need to do that. You have to be willing to be open-minded. So I would say those are some of the top things that it takes to be a great partner. Now, with that being said, what does what are some red flags that you would want to look out for if you're working with someone as a partner? Well, I say for me, one of my biggest red flags is when they use the word I versus we. I am a person who believes in team effort, group effort, everyone winning. It's been my motto forever. And um, and I learned this from many, many failures in business and many failed partnerships and just many failed things in general. Okay, so I would say you want people that use the word we and they're thinking about the we, not the I. The next thing is, do they have a selfish agenda? Are they only concerned about their particular payout? Which again, this goes along with the I versus we, but is it more about the payout? Is it more about that, right? Because you also care, does this person care about the quality of our product? Are they committed to innovating? So here's an interesting um, example. So a really good friend of mine who ran a Fortune 500 company for many years told me about a situation that happened to him. And he had an opportunity to become an exclusive supplier of a brand new product that went on to revolutionize the world. At the time, obviously, no one knew exactly how it would revolutionize the world or if it would. But they had an opportunity to become the exclusive supplier. But it was going to take tons of money, millions and millions, maybe even billions of dollars in research and development and getting it right. Well, he was a publicly traded company and his board of directors voted against him getting that because a lot of them were older and were getting ready to retire. They were afraid that if this went sideways or south, it would affect and essentially crush their retirement. So instead of making the decision that was best for, that was potentially best for the business long term, they took the road that was safest for their retirement. Fast forward, um, the company that he ran is actually no longer in existence today. And the product that went on to revolutionize the world has built many other companies, and it's really sad. But that is what I mean by having a selfish agenda. Let's say this. Do they make bad personal decisions outside of the business? For example, do they do things that aren't good in their personal life? Let me tell you this from someone who made a bunch of terrible personal decisions in my life. It eventually, I don't know how and I don't know when, it eventually surfaces in the business. Okay, it depends on what decisions you're making and, and where you're doing them. But I can tell you right now, when you make those decisions, this happens. It happens 100% of the time and it will cause you problems. So pay close attention to the people that you're going into business with that they're 
a, they're good people. And at the same side, make sure that you're a good person. Because if you're doing bad things, eventually they will catch up to you and it will cause you problems in your business. And it will also, they, you know, your business partners can end up becoming collateral damage, which you do not want to have happen. Another thing, and again, so, this is a personal issue that I've had many, many times, is someone who's involved in tons of things. Okay, this is an issue that I struggled with over the years. And I mean, hell, even recently, I still somewhat struggle with this. But remember, on any given day, any given week, any given month, any given year, you only have 100% output that you can give. Okay, that's it. You have 100%. That's all you can give. Let's say I'm involved in three businesses and I want to give my time equally to all three of them. Well, that means each business is getting 33.3% of my time. Well, as we all know in life, you get out of something what you put in. So if you're only putting 33% effort into one business, what do you expect to get out of that business? You can't expect infinitely good results when it's only getting 33% of your effort. Okay, so whenever you're getting involved with someone and you're looking to bring someone on, if they're going to be a partner, not an investor, but a partner that's going to help you grow and build the business and be there and build sweat equity and those things, you need to make sure that they can commit the same amount of time to the project or the business that you can. Because I promise you, one of the things that will ruin a business faster than anything is if one party thinks that they are contributing more than the other party. And especially if like, let's say I'm partnering with, with another person and I'm 100% time and energy and effort into this business and they're 33% of their time, energy and effort into this business. Eventually you feel like you're getting the short end of the stick and slowly and surely you start becoming bitter to a point that it blows up. And again, the only way to combat this is communication. So I would say those are some of the biggest red flags to look for when you're working with someone. So now the next thing that I see happen often is that people bring on partners when they should be hiring an employee. Okay, so the first thing you want to do before bringing on a partner is establish what are they bringing to the table? Now, listen, I cannot tell you the number of small businesses that I have helped that have gotten started that brought on a partner who was really good at quote unquote, bookkeeping is what I call it. Okay. They're good with finances, but really at the end of the day, they're good at QuickBooks and accounting. Okay. Um, there is a big difference in someone being good at bookkeeping and someone being a CFO and helping you raise money and creating budgets and doing things like that. Let me tell you, if you are, if you are looking to partner with someone, you need to think long and hard about, could I hire this position? I'm going to give you an example in my poster company. Back in the day, when Les and I started, he was a graphic designer and I was more of a salesperson. I was willing to go out and hustle and create contacts and do those things. Okay, the thing that I've learned over the years is that finding someone who will go out, hustle, put the time and energy and effort into it is a very, very different skill set than someone who does graphic design. Okay, today with the, the likes of Fiverr and Upwork and things like that, graphic designers are a dime a dozen. You can find them all over the world and they're less expensive than you could have ever imagined. And there are really talented designers all over the world. So I would say, depending upon the need there, um, I would be willing to hire out those projects. And I think that's probably a much better solution is having that particular designer as a contractor or a, like a part-time employee where they just do certain things that I need. And whenever it's done, it's done. I would say that that's probably the number one thing that you want to be mindful for when you're looking at what someone brings to the table. The next thing is, 
if they have a huge client list that will come and work with them, and it's something you cannot hire, right? So for example, let's just say that we're in banking and we have a list of investors that buy rental properties all the time. Okay, or we're in financing and we have this list of investors or, or we're starting a business and we're looking for a list of investors. What we would want to do is hire someone with that list that they're very loyal to that particular person. Then we bring them in and they basically bring instant revenue to the table. Okay, and that is a, that is a very good reason to bring someone on. Now, I think another, another thing that you want to look at is do they work hard? Or do they work smart? I will tell you this, and this is something that very few people understand. The hardest working people in the world are by no means the best off financially. If hard work equaled success and it equaled great amounts of large amounts of money and wealth, then people that work in sweatshops around the world would be the wealthiest people in the entire world. Hard work is not the answer. You need skills. Essentially, you need to think about this. Whenever you're building a business, think of it like building a house. You have a toolbox, right? And so in our in our initial toolbox, when we're going to build this house, we have a hammer and we have some nails and we have some wood, okay? But now we need someone to lay concrete, okay? Now, once we have that concrete, we're going to build this foundation, but then we need someone who can do drywall. Then we need someone who can do electrical work. We need heating and air conditioning. We need someone who can do the roof. We need someone who can do uh, landscaping outside. What if we want a pool? We need someone to install this. Okay, so you need so many different components to build a big business. Okay, so that leads me into this next part. One of the things that I see happen in early stage startups when people acquire or bring on or decide to partner with someone is they split the equity 50-50 or 5149 or whatever. But this is a terrible situation because what's happening is you aren't leaving equity for yourself as you grow and as you need people down the road. So let's say hypothetically that you start out in this little business and you get it up to, I don't know, $10 million a year. But now you want to scale this business and you want to start looking at acquiring other businesses. Well, maybe you need to hire someone or you want to partner with someone who can help you with this. Maybe there's some investor out there that wants to take a stake in your company. Well, now you have to convince your partner to give up an equal amount, just like you have to give up if you want the ownership to stay in your favor. This is when things get tricky. So for me personally, whenever I started the, the poster company that I own today, it's my final version of it. I realized at, at this point that I needed to preserve a lot of equity because I needed strategic partnerships. And for my strategic partnerships, I was I was going to have to give away equity for this. And today, currently, I have three strategic partners that I've given away 10% um, equity to each one of them. And they brought something invaluable to the table. But at the same time, without my company, they're what they had wasn't very valuable, right? But when you put us together, it was extremely valuable. And so I understood that they were not bringing hard work. They were not bringing effort or output. They were bringing something I could not purchase and I could not hire. And that is why you have to preserve a lot of equity. Okay, so before I move on on how you should pick a partner, I want to tell you a couple of other ways that I've failed as a partner in the past. You see, for some reason about me, I grew up, not very well off. We lost our house in high school. 
Uh, and I always, I was always at the bottom. It was, it was never a big deal. I was always happy. I always loved my life probably more than anyone I ever knew. And so therefore, whenever I started the business, I wasn't as concerned about profit as much as other people were that worked with me or partners that I had. I was more concerned about doing it right, doing the best job I could and lifestyle. I was all about keeping it simple. I didn't want to overcomplicate it. I wanted to take pictures. I wanted to make posters and I wanted to sell posters. And that was all I wanted to do. That was it, period, top to bottom, take pictures, make them, sell them. And I wanted to work on having the best templates that we could. And that was it for me. And so I cared about having my time off. So I felt like I was really enjoying my life and I was living my life and I was having so much fun. Um, because what happens over time, as you grow, you don't have as much fun. I mean, you can, but it's different because as the business grows, it's more of a responsibility. And remember, there's a famous saying, the things you own end up owning you. And a business is no exception. If you build this business, unless you're Tim Ferriss and you can figure out a way to automate your entire life on four hours a week, and trust me, I have been trying for a very long time, it is a difficult scenario. I would say that that for me has been one of the biggest hurdles for someone working with me was that I was more concerned about doing it right than I was about profit. Obviously, profit's very important, don't get me wrong, but I'm a believer that if you do things right, money tends to follow. I will tell you, like whenever I come into a business and I start working, the ways I have failed is I come in, I have tons of ideas and I want to help implement them and I didn't evaluate who I was working with or what that would look like or the type of capital that it would take to do that. And so I've caused myself lots of headaches over the years for myself and other partners. I've had ideas that I get started on that once I get in them, I realize that I don't want any part of them anymore. And I've walked away from a lot of ideas because it was just going to be too much work and too much effort than I was willing to put in or that I even had time to give. Because again, the majority of my effort and time has to go to my poster company. That's just a few of the many, many reasons that I have been a terrible partner. But you know, each and every day, like all of us, we have to work on becoming a better version of ourselves. And for me, I'm not competing against anyone. I don't care if people have more money than me or if they're more successful or they're happier or whatever. I'm competing against myself yesterday. And I'm concerned what takes place in my business, my life, my friends, my family. And I highly recommend that you do that as well as you take on this entrepreneurial journey of yours. So now, how should I pick a partner? Well, let's keep it simple. We look at the things we need to run the business and we determine which of these things can we hire versus which of these things can be much better getting them from a partner, bringing someone on, giving them a little piece, but they help expedite our growth. That's number one. Number two, look at their track record. Have they been in business before? How big did that business get? Did it end? How did it end? Did it fail? Was it bankrupt? Did they take it public? How did it go down? Did they sell it? Okay, these are things that really matter. Did it go under because they ran it poorly? There's lots of things like that that we have to figure that you have to figure out before you get into a partnership. That's what we do. Okay. This one for me is probably the best. If I'm interviewing someone and I'm thinking about becoming a partner with somewhere throughout conversation, I'll just say, hey, in your business journey, what is something really difficult that happened? And why did it happen and how did you handle it? And what's interesting about this question is I only care about one portion of the answer. I only care about, do they take accountability for what happened? Whatever it is, it doesn't matter what the problem was. Do they say, well, it happened because I made this mistake 
And this is how I should have handled it, but I didn't. And this is how I handled it moving forward. And this is what I would do. But it, the reason it happened was 100% my fault. Because when you work with people that are willing to own their mistakes, you can generally overcome anything. But if you work with people that put blame elsewhere, instead of building this great community, this great culture, you end up partnering with people that cause you headaches, that make you look bad, that will point the finger at you no matter what happens, no matter what goes wrong. Remember, in every single scenario in life when something didn't go right, there was something you could have done to do a better job. There is something in every single scenario. So I would say, and maybe if there's not, it's very, very rare, okay, for those that are going to comment or blast that. But that for me is look for people that take accountability because it will be an amazing person to partner with. Now, another thing, you need to understand their financial needs, not their goals, their needs. This can be catastrophic for new startups or new partnerships. So let's say someone like me, I, I have no debt, okay? And so I'm easy to partner with because I don't need much to survive. Well, Back in, it's always really been that way, I guess, for my life, because my goal, and I got this as advice from mentors, was to keep my life $35,000 a year or less on what I needed to survive. And the reason was, was because no matter what happened to my business, I could always go and wait tables and make that money. And so I was always very frugal and I kept, I, I did my very, very best to minimize everything. I paid my house off as soon as I could. Any type of extra bonus or extra money that I received, I always put it towards things. And listen, at one time, I had a lot of debt. I left my first partnership with tons of it. I hadn't paid. I had terrible credit. There were so many things that were bad. And at that time, partnering with me, again, if someone had looked into my situation, it would have been catastrophic. They would have never done it. But today, I keep very little debt. My wife and I, we try our very best to keep a smaller lifestyle and we live in a small house. We do those things, right? Now, why does that matter? Let's say that I need $100,000 per year just to survive. Well, instantly, instantly, all of a sudden, this business has to make $8,000 per month in profit just to pay me, okay? And so if the average business, let's just say it operates on it, just to be to make it like ridiculous, let's say it operates on a 50% margin, which it won't. That means that right out of the gate, you have to do $16,000 per month for that person to get paid. That doesn't leave you as the other partner getting paid. It doesn't mean growing. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean saving anything, nothing. 50% goes to cost. The other 50% would go to them if you're at $16,000 a month. So think about the pressure that can put on. And a lot of people will say, oh, well, I can survive for X amount of time, but they can't. Okay, and that is something also really important just to be mindful of their finances. And those are uncomfortable questions. But remember, you will only be as successful as the number of uncomfortable conversations that you're willing to have. So just keep that in mind. Okay, so the next thing you need to know why they're looking to become partners. Okay, now I say this and that sounds so so simple, right? Well, of course, they want to build a great business, but it's not true. Okay, some people are already successful and they think, yeah, let's partner up on this because they're bored. But then they realize they don't need the money. And so whenever it starts consuming too much of their time, they don't really wanna do it anymore. I've seen this happen more than you can imagine. Um, one of my closest friends who became an investor in me, he said to me at one time, I said, "You know, why would you wanna invest in me? And he said, honestly, it's the entertainment factor in his life. 
and I could only expect to get advice from him. I would never get anything else out of that because he didn't want to mislead me. That I really appreciated. Okay, some people need the money. Some people are looking to do a hobby and kind of turn it into a business. Well, if someone is looking to turn their hobby into money, you better make sure that your long-term goals are aligned because a lot of hobbyists, let's just say, for example, like in my business, we do photos. So let's say that you're a photographer and you're like, oh man, I, I want to come, I'll, I'll help with the photography part of it. Well, here's the problem with that. We used to hire photographers and the problem was that they they thought they knew more than we did. We, we weren't trying to be photographers. We're not trying to go out and take these amazing portraits where we set the ISO and we set the aperture and all this other stuff. They don't even know what it does, right? Our goal was speed and to turn things around in the highest quality form possible by using graphics. And we believe that we could fix a lot of the imperfections in photos through design. Well, when we partnered up with people who, uh, or not partnered up, but when we hired actual photographers, they took forever because they were perfectionists because that's their hobby. And they're trying to turn it into not a business, right? Remember, there's a difference in being self-employed and owning a business. Self-employed people, if they don't show up, they don't get paid, okay? And most hobby-based businesses are people that are self-employed and they just call it a business. It's definitely misleading. So, you want to make sure that if you're going into business with a hobbyist, that you understand there's a high probability that you guys are going to be, it's just going to be a job that you're creating for yourself. It can be high income, but it's going to be a job. Okay. You need to understand um, the reasons to be aligned because the success will be based on the why. Okay. Why are we doing this business? Why? What, what does success look like to Chad in five years and in 10 years? What does success look like to this other person in five years and 10 years? And that essentially becomes your business plan. What are you working towards over the next one year, three years, five years, 10 years? What does success look like? You need to make sure that whoever you're picking as a partner is very much aligned with that particular direction. And listen, I promise you directions change every year and you need to make sure to continue to bring up that vision and that goal to make sure that your directions are aligned. Now, this is a little piece of advice that I think is crucial. Don't avoid doing it the right way just because you think it will never happen to you. You need to get contracts involved. You need things documented. Okay, I want you to understand something. In my business journey, not only did my best friend from college and I not work out, one of my best childhood friends started working with me. We ended up splitting ways because it was just because of personal reasons for him, whatever. And then he ended up competing with me. And I found out about it because he worked for me. He used to handle booking the events for me. Well, what happened was when he left, he had people that were still reaching out to book events and he needed the money. And so he was taking these events without us knowing. That is another friend of mine that I lost due to business that when I say we grew up together, I'm talking, we were born one month and seven days apart. Our family, our parents were great friends from the time we were born, sleepovers from the time we were children, stayed in touch all throughout college. Yeah, it was devastating for me because I looked at it as if he stole my time. Okay, what happened was he was working for, you know, a big company, Walgreens and PepsiCo, Mid-America or whatever it was. And you know, when I was struggling and trying to get it off the ground, I was eating Chef Boyardee two meals a day and peanut butter and crackers. He had four weeks vacation and had a uh, 401k and, you know, was able to have a wife and kids. And I couldn't have that because I was struggling. And then he came along 
I taught him everything. Then we part ways and he says he's has no he's not going to do anything that we do. And then sure enough, steals the idea and I find out on a fluke. Okay. But that for me was catastrophic from an emotional standpoint, from a trust standpoint. This is someone that I've known longer than my wife. You know, I've known longer than any person I've ever known in Chicago. It's just so devastating to me on a personal level that it reminded me that I had to compartmentalize my entire business because I didn't want anyone knowing everything ever again, because I couldn't run the, the chance of this happening again. And to this day, that's how I operate. So now, remember, in the beginning, no one thinks something will go south when you're just getting started. No one does, because you're only focused on the good. The idea is it's just like dating someone in the honeymoon phase when everything is perfect. But then after you move in together, you realize that they don't do their laundry or they leave stuff everywhere. Or they don't do the dishes or they don't make the bed, but yet you always make the bed. And over time, those little things will, will start adding up and become big things. So this is something that you want to make sure and get these contracts done. Make sure this is the case. Because remember, the moment money is involved, things change. And keep this in mind. This is something really interesting to remember. Money does not change people. I hear it all the time. Oh, money changed people. No, it does not. Fact. Money reveals who people truly are. And when money gets involved, you will learn everything you need to know about a person that you never knew about them before money was involved. I guarantee that. Okay, make sure that when you go in, this is two components for this. You want to build this business with an exit strategy in place from day one for two reasons. Number one, it does not, just remember, it does not mean you're going to sell it or you're going to leave. But if you build a business to sell, or with an exit strategy, it means that you are building this thing to work without you. And so the help, the, the good news about that is you will build it to not need you. And that is the first step in graduating from being self-employed to owning a business. You need to build something that does not need you. Now, the other portion of this exit plan, okay, is what if one partner wants to get out? What if you have this three-year goal? And we, okay, in three years, we want to be making, I don't know, 250 grand a year, but three years arrives and we're making 40. What if that person wants to leave? What does it look like? Who, how are you going to evaluate the business to determine, are you going to pay them out? How's that going to work? What happens? Okay, so there's lots of things like that, that you need to make sure that you, you have this talk, you get it lined out, you figure out what is an exit strategy for, for both of us. Okay, you need, also need to have a plan for solving disputes. If you are equal partners, 50-50, who is going to be the, the extra person that you pitch your idea to? Ideally, it needs to be a neutral third party. And the last piece on something you don't want to avoid is making sure that you always talk about the money. Okay, the money is the part that causes the biggest headache. And by setting up that chain of communication early and establishing that you're going to have meetings, although I hate meetings, you're going to have them, even if it's for 10 minutes a week, just to do a quick recap on the numbers, on what you're selling, where the money's going, where you'd like to see it allocated to make sure that you're both aligned in the direction you're going. Those are the things that should really sum up the partnership and the things to, you know, to be mindful of. Now, listen, I want you to know this episode is not to say that partnerships are not valuable because I 100% think they are. I just want to make sure that you understand some of the truths that I've come to believe over the years because of my experience with partners. And I'm hoping that these stories can help you avoid a mistake or two along the way. 
So as always, I wish you the best on your entrepreneurial journey. And I look forward to continue sharing my journey with you because remember, entrepreneurship is not perfect and it is not a destination. It's a way of life. It's a journey. Okay. And each and every day we're fighting to stay ahead. Remember, it's just like being a professional athlete, except the difference is anyone can be an entrepreneur and they can all compete with you. So it's really important that you do the right things and you minimize the things that you don't need to screw up because it will help you be a little bit further ahead each and every day from someone who's not doing those things. So again, I wish you the best of luck and I appreciate your time today.